Welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. We are on a 10-week series called God and Our Greatest Fears. Uh, I went to the internet and said, okay, what's a general fear that all of us face, all of us have? And after I went to the internet and kind of looked and see what is the most general, uh, I said, oh yeah, those are definitely um, some fears that I have. And, and so I think these are fears that all of us have in the room. So as we're talking about these greatest fears, um, we have them. What does God say about them? If God was going to speak into this fear in my life, uh, what would he say? So last week we talked about fear of losing our freedom, and next couple weeks we're talking about the fear of misery, and next week we're talking about the fear of pain and the fear of loneliness, the fear of death, um, all those things we're faced with, uh, but we put God at the top saying, well, what is he going to say in regards to my fear in regards to that subject? This morning we're going to talk about one of our greatest fears. Number one is facing the unknown, the fear of the unknown. I'm afraid of what I do not know or what I cannot see. What does God have to say about it? What is God going to, um, how is he going to comfort me? How is he going to give me direction? Uh, how do I face this fear and how is God in the subject of that fear? Fear of the unknown. My wife and I um, did a test, a relationship test, where it just allows us to start talking and uh, we're supposed to ask each other questions. Um, and one of the questions were on the, the test that said, what's your greatest fear in life? And uh, my wife um, mentioned her greatest fear, and it was my greatest fear as well. And uh, greatest fear was, we just pray that our children walk with God for, the entire, for their entire life. We just want them to, to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, so we can spend eternity with them, because this world is not long enough. And so it was a fear that we kind of kept together, but what was our greatest fear? It was the fear of the unknown. Uh, our children are following Christ and love Christ today, but in the process of this world, we see people just reject Christ, and it's, God, please hang on to them all the way through. So that fear does drive us, it does motivate us, but that fear is often even there. We often also fear a little bit about, I hope that they don't marry a jerk. <laughs> That's always uh, very difficult um, when that situation takes place. So, you know, they're young, they're not married yet, but we're still carrying this, ah, it's a little bit unknown. Hopefully they find somebody that's good. What about one of us getting cancer and faced with death before the other? Um, there's a little bit of fear that's taking place there. We don't, we don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. We had a very busy week last week. Um, my wife uh, is a principal at a school, and, and uh, she was talking with some kids um, that were going into foster, kids, foster care. And in the process of going to foster care, that they were going to be split. And, and uh, as they were going to be split, there's a lot of fear that would take place um, in their, their hearts, their eyes. Um, and it drove my wife absolutely crazy to see the fear of the unknown of what's the future going like, to look like for them. So, of course, she comes home and says... Um, this fear is um, horrible on their faces. So as a family, we said, well, let's try to wipe it off their faces, give them a tiny bit of security. Um, let's take them in. I mean, just that aggressive. And just for the purpose of taking the fear off of some people's faces, uh, fear of the unknown, because it was so strong, it is, is so rich. And just to, to finish um, that story, as soon as we said, well, we'll talk to DHS and see if we can get um, involved in the foster care, moving our family from four to the family of seven. Uh, we went through all the, the paperwork and everything, but as we mentioned it, a lot of people stepped up and says, we're behind you, we support you, we will walk with you in this. And we said, this must be God's plan because he's moving towards this direction. 
And uh, so we had a meeting with uh, the um, DHS, and, and uh, we got accepted for short-term foster care. But during the process of getting accepted, my wife kept receiving a text from somebody. And uh, so we got it, um, getting accepted, going through the process of getting accepted. But after that meeting, um, she called back that text that was coming, and, and sh- this person said, we love what you're doing, uh, but we don't even want to support you. We would love to even take these kids, if you can or if you can't. And we're like, wow, God is good. You step forward to wipe kids off, to wipe the fear off kids' face, but then there's everybody else that steps forward and says, we've got to wipe the fear off these kids' face and give them some security because the unknown is extremely frightening. Fear of someday I'm going to die. What's that going to look like? What's going to take place? I don't know what's going to happen exactly. In fact, we're going to talk about this morning in our D.C. class. What's five minutes after I die? We'll explore the subject, but there's a fear of the unknown. All of us are going to die. What's going to take place when that happens? child might have a disease. All of us have different situations in our families and in our homes, and there's a fear that entangles us uh, because you don't know what's going to take place. As you don't know what's going to take place, it continues to haunt us. Fear if your parents are ill and there's a possibility of might losing them. What's the process um, of going through that? What kind of pains are going to be brought up in regards to that subject? These things are unknowns, and as they are unknowns, um, they often don't give us a lot of, a lot of peace. So looking at uh, um, the article, that this is a non-Christian article, it says, well, this is what fear is. Let's just look what they say. The fear of the unknown is easily explained like this. The mind tells us that in order to move forward, we must know what is waiting for us there. Because if I know, then I can control the situation. And if I don't know, then I'm not in control. Now, does this um, give you a lot of peace? If I only know, then I can control. Or does this lead us to ask more questions? When I read it, I had a couple more questions. Number two, does knowing give you control? Does knowing give you control? Um, I don't think knowing necessarily gives you complete control. We know that nine ballistic missiles have been launched from North Korea, and we have a most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States, and he would love to be in control of that situation. But did it give him control? The knowledge give him control? Knowing does give you some things because you can adjust, you can move. If you have cancer, you can go through treatments to sustain it, you know, to sustain it and make it, make it last longer and those things. But does knowing give you complete control or does knowing almost increase more questions of the unknown? Does knowing possibly even increase more fear, increase more passion, increase more disorder? You saw the news, there's a 20-year-old that won the lottery in Florida, and I don't know what, it was $450 million or something like that. Um, he walked into a supermarket with complete peace, and as he walked in the supermarket, he purchased the winning lottery ticket. Now, what would happen if um, there's a news report that says, the winning lottery ticket is at this supermarket at such and such time, at such and such date, I just want you to know that it is there, and whoever gets it gets $450 million dollars there'd be no peace in Florida, and there'd be no peace in that supermarket. Why? Because all of us knowing where the ticket is before it's purchased would cause extreme amount of chaos, extreme amount of confusion, extreme amount of violence, because it was like, well, I want a hold of it as well, and so there would be a movement towards that area. 
Sometimes when we know that we have something that is not healthy and is not good, it sometimes creates even more of a, a sense of fear, more of a sense of insecurity, more of a sense of pain, because I know that this is happening, and as I know it's happening, I struggle even more. Number three, would knowing everything help you or even destroy you? Would knowing everything help you or even destroy you? When we look at the topic of fear, if we could just know we can be in control and then everything would be all right. But is that going to be the case? I know now I'm in control. Now everything is going to be all right. Or would it be something that could, that could crush you? Be something that could um, pull you down. Be something that can control you. Be something that can rule you. You ever heard the comment that if you only had 24 hours to live, uh, what would you do? Um, one thing that you would do is in those 24 hours, you would never not think about dying in 24 hours. Every move you make would be driven towards that 24 hours of when time would end. You see, knowing can even be a lord of your life in a sense of this is a radical known that controls me, moves me, um, builds me a passion, creates some energy in me, some excitement in me that could be extremely negative, that could destroy you as well. So on this topic of the fear of the unknown, I would say that we're dealing with a monster. We're dealing with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, because if we know, it could be bad. If we don't know, um, it can be bad. And there's always this that's taken place that is inside of us. So as we're dealing with this monster, the fear of the unknown, uh, we have to ask God, ask the Bible, what is the Bible going to say about it? What is God going to do? And how is God going to help me in the process of not knowing what the next day will bring? First thing that I think that the Bible and God wants to say is, number four, the Bible is not a book of advice. The Bible is a book of news. That tells me numerous things. It tells me that God understands the issue of the unknown, and God wants to deal with the unknown. So when he wrote a book, he says, I'm not going to just tell you guys what to do in the process of the unknown. I'm going to give you a revelation of what has been done, and I want you to feed on it. Our peace, our excitement, our joy, our strength, and our energy comes from how we approach the Bible. Many people will approach the Bible, and when we look at the Bible, we'll say, okay, the Bible is a list of rules that I need to obey. It says in the Bible, I need strength, therefore I'm going to get strength. But what happens is if you look at it not from a book of advice, but a book of news, you can look at the Bible and says, I need strength and understanding that the news that God is on a mission and I can be involved is going to give me the strength that I need. See what takes place if you look at the Bible as a sense of news is that it gives you the strength when we read it. It provides a strength when our eyes are opened up to the news that is happening. Peace. Bible say get peace. Bible doesn't necessarily get peace. It says if you understand the news of walking with God who is in control, peace will automatically be provided. It's selling the news, not selling necessarily even a command. Love your neighbor. Well, if we instructed people, you need to love your neighbor. How many people would love their neighbor? Uh, not very many. Not, not, not enough. Why? Because it's just a rule and, and nobody really obeys rules. I don't even obey rules. But if you go into the Bible and you understand the news of what you received by accepting Christ as your Savior, 
there's an addiction, there's a passion, there's a desire to make sure that your neighbor understands that as well. Not necessarily a command, but we understand what is behind the command, and that is what motivates us, energizes us. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Uh, well, is that a, a command that God gives me, and am I doing it, am I not doing it? Or if you look at the entire passage in Ephesians, love your wife like Christ loved the church so you can sanctify her, make her pure, make her holy, make her strong, make her passionately in love with you. you see, what's taking place is God's not just giving us a command. He's giving us a news to make us whole. And that news to make us whole is something that we can feed off of and say, this is what I need to do because this is what um, uh, God has told me to do. This is what God has um, shown me that I would be blessed in doing. So when Jesus came to earth, what did he come with? Did he come with rules? Did he come with um, direction? Did he come with advice in the process of you dealing with the unknown? Or did he come with news that can help you through the process of the unknown? Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching what? The rules? The good news. What's the good news? The gospel is mentioned even as the good news. Mark 1, 15, repent and believe. What? The good news. This is Jesus' ministry. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world. This is a command. But what makes the command come alive? The rest of the sentence. And preach the good news. You don't have something that is, is, is burdensome. You don't have something that will pull somebody down. You have news that will make somebody alive, that if you can preach it and give it, that person will come alive rather than have a burden that's on them. Romans ten fifteen. how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So if we're going to look at the subject of the unknown, the first thing I think we need to know is that the Bible is full of news. And if it's full of news... It's definitely full of life, full of energy, full of passion. And if we feed on the news and we feed on um, that, our passion will continue to grow and our direction will continue to move forward. So looking at this subject specifically of the unknown, um, what would uh, God, what kind of news does God want to give us in regards to facing the unknown? I think the first statement that God really wants us to have in regards to, I don't know what's going to happen, um, the unknown um, is number five. In our unknown world, we need to feed on the news that God can be known and understood. Have you ever seen God? Have you ever touched God? Have you ever looked up into the sky and, and seen a, a majesty that you cannot even explain? Let me ask you a question. What does God look like? Do we know exactly what God looks like? Do we know what God looks like? That's kind of a little bit of friction because we're talking about the unknown and all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't even know what God looks like. We don't even know what is in his mind. We don't even know him. Or we can't even touch him. We can't even feel him. Do you see the tension? God, if you want us to be not afraid of the unknown, why don't you reveal yourself? Why don't you show yourself? We need to know that God has shown himself, that God has revealed himself. And God has given us his heart. God has given us his mind. God has given us his motivation, his motive. He's given us everything we need to know to have a clear definition of exactly what God looks like. And guess what? It's written in our language. The language I speak 
is language of, of, of human being. You know, I have cows, and I like to think that I speak cow because I have a relationship with them, but I don't really speak very good cow. I don't speak very good fish. Um, I don't speak rhinoceros. I don't speak any other language except the language of human being. I also do not speak God omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign. That is so far beyond my mind, and God knows it. So what he said, I want to be known, I want to be understood, and I will come to earth in your language. I will speak human being. And in the process of looking looking at Jesus, you would know everything about me, and you will not be able to say, I do not understand God. If he came in a cloud in the Shekinah glory, I think he knows that he would be, we would be confused. I think he knows that we would be distracted. Therefore, he came as a man so we can look at him right in the face and say, I know every square inch of what God looks like because I live in an unknown world, and he knows that I need to know his mind, his heart, his mission, his passion. Matthew 1, 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and then they'll call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God specifically with us. Colossians 1, 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. If you see the Shekinah glory, will you see everything that God wants you to see? You would not. If you see Jesus, would you see everything that God wants you to see? Yes, you would. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has completely explained who God is. Is God known and do you understand him? The word is, yes, we do. That doesn't mean we like him. That doesn't mean that, you know, he's what we want. The Pharisees saw him and completely rejected him because they were not, God looks a little bit different than that. But it does mean that through the unknown world, we can look exactly what is in God's heart, mind, motive, and mission by looking at Jesus. Number six, an unknown world, feed on the news that God, Jesus, is in control. If God is going to come as a man, he is going to come uh, with a man, um, in results of saying this man is not only a man, this is a God-man. And, and by the showing him that he's God-man, he said this guy is connected with heaven when he came to earth. Connected with heaven, Jesus made some radical, radical statements being connected with heaven. Born of a virgin, one of the radical statements is John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am what? The way? He did not say there is a way out there. He looks and said, Noah, I am the way, I am the what, the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. I am the truth. What does truth mean? Truth means is that I, that I call the shots. What I want to do happens, and the only thing I want to do is what my Father wants to do, and that's what will be done. But Jesus has taken that. I am the truth. What does that mean? That means that when he stood before Pilate, Pilate confronted Jesus, if you ever notice the, the, the story. Pilate confronted Jesus and said, who are you? And Jesus didn't say anything. And then Pilate got in his face and said, oh, Jesus, you don't understand the situation. He says, I have the power to kill you. 
I have the power to make you stay alive. I am complete control of your future. And what you say to me will either convince me to take you down or take you out. You don't understand, Jesus. I know the truth. I have the truth. And you're out of luck. What was Jesus' response to him? <laughs> Jesus says, <laughs> uh, you don't know the truth. You're looking at the truth. <laughs> and his response is what? Do not speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power. There is something else that's taking place. You have no power except what is given to you from above, and that is what I'm submissive to. You have no power what's taking place. When Jesus walks on earth, he's consistently making a statement to his disciples and everybody that he carries the power that he is in control. There's a time that he was on the Sea of Galilee and a storm started rushing. And as the storm rushed, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. And as he was sleeping in the back of the boat, what did the disciples do? They looked at each other and they had a conversation. I think it was a pretty aggressive conversation. You don't wanna, do you want to know the truth? <laughs> We're fishermen and we understand the strength of this boat, and we understand the power of these waves. And the truth is that we're going down if this continues. The truth is that if we go down, we're going to turn into fish food. The truth is, is life that we know it is dead. But was that the truth? <laughs> Blackaby says, no, that's not the truth. The truth was <laughs> sleeping in the back of the boat. And all you had to do was wake him up and bring him forward. And as he brought forward, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa settle down, guys. You just don't understand carry a power that is, is from God. What did he do? He calmed the storm, calmed the sea. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There was authority in Jesus that completely shocked the world when he was here, and authority was there to show us that he had, was a man submissive to God, but yet had the power also of God. Number seven, in an unknown world, we need to feed on the news that God loves you. So let's look at this. God can be known. God has control. God has power. And that he what? He loves me. And that he what? He loves me. And everything he is doing is for our best interest and for his glory. We look at... Uh, ask the question of when we are going through life and our struggles start to happen. And there's times we start doubting God. And we start thinking, does God really love me? And then we start putting things in our mind that if God really loved me, a healing would take place. If God really loved me, a job would be supplied. If God really loved me, Peace would come to my life instead of the disorder that has taken place. If God really loved me, he would show up in a Shekinah glory and say, I am completely present only if God loved me. Then that would take place. Um, does that take place? God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. That is the tip of the sword of what God wants you to know. That is the tip of the sword that God wants you to feed on. So if we ever have a doubt, does God love me? Where does God want you to go? He wants to go into this, your word, and he wants you to see the cross that has taken place. And if you see the cross that has taken place, what is your only response that can happen if you look at the cross and ask the question of God loves you? 
the only response would be, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Does God walk with me? He went to the cross. Look at it. Duh would be the only response. I don't know if that's a, com- or a, a popular word, a modern word. My daughters will tell me after my service. But that's what's going to take place. He says, don't feed on something that is in a miracle. Don't feed on something that can be brought to you in a specific situation. Feed on to the anchor of who I am. And if you look at the anchor of who I am, the known, and understand my passionate love for you, that is what's going to get you through the unknown. Not a miracle is going to get you through the unknown. In fact, what you need more than a miracle is you need to know that there is a God that is walking next to you in the process of where you are at. Because if we all had to have a miracle, we would never die. Because as soon as we got a miracle here, got a miracle here, got a miracle here, and then we are faced with death, what are you going to ask for? You're going to ask for another miracle. And then if you get another miracle, then you got, oh boy, you're now 120 years old. Oh, now you're 150 years old. Why? Because miracles are continuing to come here. God doesn't want you to focus on miracles. God wants to focus on that you are passionately loved by him and any situation that you walk through, he is not, he is there. He is walking specifically with us. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know him, did not know the love that he had for them. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. What does that verse say? That verse says, in the coming ages, which is talking about eternity, is that we will not worship God for his power. We will not worship God for his size. We will worship God for his love. And we'll say for eternity, God, because you love me, that is why I will sing for the rest of eternity and give you glory, because that is the tip of the, tip of the spear rather than his power, rather than even his power. Number eight, if, if an unknown, in an unknown world, feed on the news that God is with you. There's many different religions that are out there, and it seems like all, religions all have one thing in common. And the one thing that they have in common is, is God is out there and we are here. And since God is out there, what we need to do is we need to conform to God. Um, the reason why we have to conform to God is because he's big, he's got the way to do it, and I need to adjust my life um, um, and conform to him. I need to align myself with God. I need to make an impression on God as he is out there. I need to uh, work towards God. The difference between Christianity and every single religion is that God is not something you work towards. It's not something you align yourself with. It's a God that you walk with. It is a person that you walk with. There's no other God in any other religion that has come to earth as a man and has met us face to face. Jesus has. And then when Jesus left, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, your guide, your direction, and we will walk together. Not, I'm way out here, but no, we will be connected in a world where you're going to turn a corner and there's going to be some unknown things. What do you need? 
Do you need a power from the sky when you have the unknown things? Or do you need a shoulder to lean on? Do you need a hand to embrace? Do you need the fellowship to survive? Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We often approach God and say, God, you're way out there. But really, where is he? He's right here. Where I can have fellowship with him, where I can talk to him in prayer. I can open up the word and he can talk to me. There is a connection and the connection is very personable. There's a poem that was written years ago and, and uh, called Footprints in the Sand. And it's just a poem that many of you know, but it's a poem that we just want to bring up uh, pretty consistently because it carries such a powerful message. One night I had a dream. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes of my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one belonging to the Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that all my times along the path of my life, especially at the times that were very lowest and saddest, there was only one footprint in the sand. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, that you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. God whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials, or your testing, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Number nine, what can we hold on to in the unknown world? Is we need to trust the known. We need to trust the known, the known that has come before us and the known that is after us. So looking at the known, what is the known if there is no God? If there is no God, what would the known be? I don't think that there would be an answer to the known. But what God has said, I am going to give you truth, and I'm going to make it understandable. And that understandable truth is one who loves you. The Bible is news. Go to it. Feed off of it. And what's going to happen? Walking through the unknown world, you'll be able to hang on to something that is firm and hang on to something that is strong and hang on to somebody that will get you through Psalms 56, 3 through 4. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man mere, do, mere man do to me? Psalms 112, 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. We do crazy things when the unknown comes. And one of the crazy things we do is we don't necessarily go to the known what we do is we go to the world and try to find healing and try to find peace and try to st find strength in the unknown of what we can see. I just want to tell you a really fast story, uh, kind of almost even a joke about this uh, couple that was going to dinner in, in England. And as they were going to dinner, it was a snowy evening. It was a snowy, snowy night. 
and a very, very cold. And as they were going to dinner, they were all dressed up, getting ready to walk in the door, and they noticed across the street there was a, a drunk guy. And uh, the drunk person was on his hands and knees underneath a streetlight. And as he was on his hands and knees underneath a streetlight, it was almost look, looked like he lost something in the snow. He's on his hands and knees, and he's shuffling through the snow, frantically trying to find something. One of the guys that was taking his wife out looked at that guy and said, you know, I have sympathy on him. Maybe I should go help him out and go see if he needs a hand. So sure enough, he, he goes over to the drunk guy and he says, um, do, you need any, do you need any help? And the drunk man frantically says, yes, I, I, I lost my wallet and, and I can't find it. And uh, out of sympathy, the guy that was in the suit kind of rolled up his sleeves, got down on the snow and started to shuffle in his hands through the snow to see if he can find his wallet. After five minutes of searching for this wallet, um, the guy in the suit looked at the drunk guy and says, I don't see it anywhere. Are you sure this is where, I lo- where you lost it? The drunk guy said, oh no, I lost it a block and a half up the street. The guy in the suit got really frustrated and says, well then why are we looking here? Because, oh, there's no street light up here, but there's a street light right up here. And what we do when we get afraid of the unknown is we want to live in what we can see, hang on to what we can hold, what God has done is God has given us the answer. He's given us the truth. It's in his word, and we can go there and find everything we need as we're facing the unknown. Therefore, don't grab a hold of everything in this world to try to heal you, because as we try to find answers, it just gets more confusing. As we try to find peace and find out what is no or what we can find, it often still confuses you. Hang on to the unknown. Go to the Bible for news. Move towards it and be saved. Number 10, it is madness to say, I will not be afraid. It is wisdom to say, I will trust and not be afraid. If we say we are not going to be afraid, it is madness. Why? Because we are not in control in an uncontrolled world. But it is wisdom to say, I will trust in God then I can relax and not be afraid. God can be known. God is in control. God loves you, and God is with you. As we're facing an unknown world, hang on to those principles. Go to the Bible for news, and you will find the strength you're looking for. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for, for being clear to us, God. Just think of Jesus leaving heaven and, and coming to earth, God. What a, um, an awesome proclamation that is, a proclamation that we need a proclamation that we must have, God, in this unknown world. Thank you, God, that he has chosen to do it. Thank you that we can see you, God, for who you are. Thank you that we can see your mind, we can see your heart, we can see your will, um, we can see your desires, God. And uh, God, through seeing you, God, we notice that you love us. And boy, God, we hang on to that. Thank you so much for being our Savior. In Christ's name, amen.